What do you think we're failing at in our business right now? Like, what do you mean? What do you mean failing? I guess what do I mean by failing? What, what do you think is not working in our business right now? I mean, I think bomb and weddings isn't working. Like, I don't think that that's doing what I wished it would. Welcome to Creative Rising, my friend, a show about what it's really like to run a photography business. I'm Erin Youngren, and you just heard my husband, Jeff. And if you haven't had a chance to catch up on our story in previous episodes quite yet, then you should know that we own several different photography brands here in our hometown of San Diego, California. Jeff and I are a husband and wife team that photographs high-end weddings as the Youngerins. We run a separate associate wedding photography brand called Clove and Kin. And back in 2012, we bought a commercial photography studio called Bauman Photographers. To hear our full story and the full story of all of those businesses right after this episode, go check out the very first episode of this entire podcast, episode 101, How We Build a Dreamy Business. Today, I'm talking about another big topic that's been on my heart lately. And it's a topic that I've struggled with a lot for many, many years. And frankly, I'm just tired of struggling with it. I'm talking about failure. And failure is something that Jeff and I have both had a really difficult time with we have a tendency to avoid failure as much as possible. I don't know if you're the same way, but that has been my experience with it in running our businesses. And avoiding failure isn't helpful in running a business. It's hard to move forward when we're scared of failing all the time. I mean, if you're out there, give me an amen if you feel the same way. So this episode is my way of working through that. What is failure? How are Jeff and I relating to it? How can we reframe our relationship to failure so that it just doesn't hold us back anymore? Because failure has felt like this brick wall that we've beat our heads against for so long that honestly, I'm just over it. I'm ready to change and I'm ready to get honest about my fears and my limiting beliefs. In this episode, I have decided to share with you our journey of wrestling with the failure of bomb and weddings in our business. And I've learned a lot in the process of recording this podcast episode. It's really shed a ton of light into how I relate to failure. And while you listen, I would love to invite you into the same curiosity. How are you relating to failure? What could be possible for you in finding new ways of wrestling with this thing that is so unpleasant, but it's also inevitable? Like I just mentioned, back in 2012, Jeff and I purchased a local photography studio called Bauman Photographers. And by the time we bought it, that studio had actually already been around for almost 10 years. And it was actually a really big wedding photography studio. It wasn't really a commercial studio yet. It had done a ton of weddings here in San Diego. It had a big team of photographers and everyone in the wedding industry knew about it. Since Jeff and I were super involved in the wedding community here, we were really good friends with the owner and knew all of the guys that shot for the brand. And when the owner decided to sell the studio, he came to us and we said yes. 
And we said yes, because by the time we bought it from our friend, the studio was in a transition. It had really started doing quite a bit of commercial work and the weddings were showing signs of slowing down. And while we were really intrigued by the commercial side of things, we also weren't really ready for Bauman photographers to stop doing weddings quite yet. But within a few years, the weddings for the Bauman brand really started to struggle. And we didn't have a ton of time to give them the attention they really needed because we were super focused on building our weddings for our new associate brand, Clove and & Kin, and we were also booking our own weddings for the Youngrens. So over the years, Jeff and I have had multiple conversations about what to do with bomb and weddings, this thing that just doesn't seem to be working. Should we keep them going? Should we shut them down? I mean, this has always been a really hard conversation, especially for Jeff. Because to Jeff, shutting down bomb and weddings means that it failed. And like I said, we both have some pretty deep issues with failure. That is, it's funny because it is probably the thing that is the most frustrating thing about our business for me. On an ongoing basis is bomb and weddings, yeah. The commercial side of things is literally hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. And the wedding side of things is literally thousands of dollars. (laughs) And But all I can think about is like, why can't I get that little thing to work? Instead of being like, oh, let's like, let's like, let's multiply this big thing. It just feels like this problem that I should be able to solve. Like, I'm like, what, what I feel is like, I'm smart enough. I know exactly what to do. Like, I know what we need to do. Like, why can't I get it to work? Yeah, I think the interesting thing is that it's basically almost already dead, but you are unable to make the decision and call it and say that it's dead. So what's going on there? Like, why can't you just say it's over? I think I'm just really like, like if we were to shut it down, that would mean that I failed at it. And I just don't like, I just don't, I don't like that. What comes up for you when you hear the word failure? Yeah, I think the first word that comes to mind when I hear failure is, is pain. Uh, It's, it's hard to fail because it hurts. This is Dane Sanders. He's an old friend of ours because Dane was shooting weddings when we began our business. And while he's since moved on from photography, he's always been a really wise and mentoring presence in our lives. And when I decided that I wanted to get honest with our issues surrounding failure, I knew that I needed to find someone that would not only be willing to talk about failure, but that would have some valuable wisdom to share. So I turned to Dane which to be honest, it's awkward reaching out to someone and asking if they would be willing to be an expert on failure. I really appreciate your patience and your grace with all of it because I was like, I'm doing an episode on failure. Who's going to be willing to do an episode on failure with me? (laughs) Who who has failed the most? Oh, wait, I know a guy. That's good. That's good. I'm actually thrilled to talk about this subject. So my joking aside, uh, I'm I'm a big failure fan, so no problem when I hear people talk about failure, like it's somehow good news. I, I, I mean, they're not totally being honest. It's hard. <laughs> it's not, it's not when you run into somebody at a cocktail party and you say, how are things going? And if you've been failing lately, uh, 
you don't lead with that and feel like you're awesome. You lead with that and, uh, it can feel humbling and, um, uh, kind of ego bruising, but it, it, it's, it's fantastically valuable. But if you ask the first word that hits me, it's that it hit me. (laughs) It hurts uh, to fail. It honestly felt really good to hear Dane admit right away that failure is painful, to just get that out there. Because I feel like it's a very real emotion, but it can get lost in the messaging surrounding failure. I feel like I always hear that we should just see the upside of failure and see it as this optimistic thing, which is true. And you're going to hear a lot about that in this episode, but getting to that point takes some time. It takes some effort and it, it takes a lot of digging because failure still hurts. It's not fun. I don't find it enjoyable. So it's comforting to hear Dane relate to that. But like Dane said, failure is also hugely beneficial, which makes it very complex. Failure is painful, but it's also just endemic to the, the world we live in. So even though it's hard and painful and, and is, um, let's just call it uncomfortable, it, it's, it's valuable for a reason in that it offers a redemptive vehicle to navigate the world. Uh, if that is the way it is, like it's endemic, then it might be wise to rethink how we are relating with this world. So to complain about the nature of reality isn't always helpful because it's still real, whether you like it or not. The opportunity, I think, is to reconsider how you're relating with the thing in the first place. And if it's, if it's unavoidable, how can you relate with it in a kind of highest and best way? There's this uh, remarkable uh, TED speaker named Bill Ekstrom, and he talks about these things he calls growth rings. I think he's an academic from the University of Nebraska. And if you picture like an Audi symbol um, vertically, instead of like the four rings um, horizontal, turn them vertically. And what Ekstrom does is he says, look, the top ring is chaos. Chaos is that state that no one likes. Like when people say they want balance in their life, they don't really want balance. What they really want is relief because they're probably overwhelmed. Like no one says, um, I want balance and they want to put more stress on their lives. They're always talking about getting rid of stress because chaos is where stress lives. And if you have too much chaos in your life, it's really, really uncomfortable. It's kind of like failure. Um, The third ring is what it seems everyone craves is that sense of order that if I could just get everything in one place the way I'd prefer it uh, and I know where everything is and it has its spots and then it's then it kind of everybody's preferred state. The problem with order, though, is if you stay there for too long, you drift to the fourth ring, which is stagnation. Uh, You you just kind of get dull. You get in a rut. Uh, You don't go very far. But what Ekstrom asserts, and I agree with him, is that the second ring is where all the money is. And that's that space between chaos and order. And he calls it complexity. And that complexity ring is the ability to hold one hand firmly on chaos and the other hand firmly on order and to bear the weight of that tension. Um, For those of us who don't like chaos or say we don't like chaos, Um, where we kind of are a little off sometimes is we also forget that things like creativity comes from chaos, you know, getting something out of nothing and making something up. You making this podcast, it started in a chaotic state and then you brought order to it. And as you held the rings of complexity uh, in play, you created something really special. And I think that's what happens when it comes to failure is if we can 
relate with failure not like it's failure, but it's complexity. And inst- and we have a clear sense of there's a combination of things going on here where I'm feeling chaotic, but also bringing order to that chaos at the same time. There's a, a narrative in that that we can cling to that can really help us get the most out of failure. And I think that's the point of failure is, is if you're going to fail, you might as well get a lot out of it. I want to highlight something that Dane just said because it unlocks quite a bit for me in this conversation surrounding failure. Dane said, complexity is the ability to hold one hand firmly on chaos and the other hand firmly on order and to bear the weight of that tension. And there's that word again, tension. I actually just explored that word just a few episodes ago in episode 201 called Parentpreneur. And I talked about the tension that exists between loving our work and loving our kids. And I explored how I find it helpful to fight that tension a little bit less and to learn to sit in the tension a little bit more and just let it be tension. And it's fascinating that Dane is saying the same thing here in relation to failure, that we don't need to get rid of tension and achieve perfect balance and order. But maybe we can see it as a healthy practice to hold both chaos and order at the same time and to simply learn what it means to bear the weight of that tension. so much more that we are going to explore with failure. We're going to hear a lot more from Dane, and we're also going to hear more about our struggle with should we give up bomb and weddings or not. But first, I want to highlight an amazing company that Jeff and I use in our business that has been so gracious to support what we are doing here at Creative Rising. Take a listen. Creative Rising is brought to you by White House Custom Color, the professional print lab that we use for all of our professional prints. And the thing that we love about White House the most is how fast they are. Yeah, it always blows me away at how quickly we're getting our prints, even in the holidays. Like when it's really busy, like we're really busy. I know the lab is really busy, but the prints are still coming super fast. It's literally mind blowing to me. Yeah, I love how our couples get their prints so quickly after they order them through us. And I think that's one of the reasons why we make so much money on print sales during the holidays is because our couples can order prints closer to the actual holiday. And so they can order last minute gifts and get them in time because White House is so fast. Yeah, I think it's funny because like they say in business, like you can't have like fast and great. But I feel like with White House, we have fast and amazing. It's like the prints are coming fast and the quality is amazing. Like it's phenomenal. And we're kind of obsessed with the deep matte paper. Oh, absolutely. The two papers we love from White House are Luster and this beautiful, silky, classic deep matte paper. And everything we order for ourselves, like anything we have hung on our walls in our house is this deep matte paper. And it's especially gorgeous with all of our black and white images. So that's definitely something we offer to all of our clients. So do you know what I really love about White House? What's that? The blow pops. (laughs) So with every order, we get a blow pop 
in the package. And so it's this fun little treat that we get. And we kind of all fight over like who gets it whenever a White House order comes in. We've been guilty of like making multiple orders in a day because we're going to get multiple low pops. <laughs> if you're a professional photographer, then you need to start using White House Custom Color. Check them out at whcc.com and learn all about their prints and all about their products. That's whcc.com. So now we know that failure hurts. It's painful. It's not fun. And we also know that failure is incredibly complex. But my next question is, what does this look like in real life? How does this play out in a failure situation? Well, I asked Dane to share his own lived experience with failure. Tell me about a time when you failed in your life and what was that experience like for you? Yeah, I mean, I've had so many. Uh, I'll go with... um probably the one that's more pertinent to your audience, uh, came in my photo world. Uh, so for those who don't know, I was a photographer for 12 years professionally. Uh, it's actually how I met you two, you and Jeff. And, um, and I, I loved uh, that work. I, before I was a photographer, I was an educator. I taught at a school called Westmont college up in Santa Barbara, California. I taught leadership and character development. So I had the side gig as a photographer and my main gig was teaching um, and, uh, I came across, uh, like so many besides me, uh, Tim Ferriss's book for our work week. And he talked about creating products that scale and especially intellectual property and how that's hard to replicate. And I had this vision in my mind of, I'm going to write a book. So I decided to write a book. So he did. And this is in the days before Kickstarter even existed. But Dane wrote to his friends and 39 people wrote him checks for $500. And he self-published his book, Fast Track Photographer. And very quickly after that, in order to promote the book and his brand, Dane begins traveling around the country, speaking and educating other photographers, which gets him a lot of attention. Photography companies start sponsoring him. Random House calls about picking up his self-published book, and he's feeling really good about it all. So here I am, teacher, photographer. Now I'm representing uh, companies and educating, and I've written a book, and then Random House called me. And now I'm traveling and speaking all over the place. And I'm um, doing a couple workshops in different cities every month. Um, and meanwhile, back at home, I have four kids and a wife who I love. And it, all of this excitement was having a massively erosive impact on my marriage. And I underestimated it because it was so fun to be successful on the road, only to come home uh, to a wife who was just caring for these four human beings that needed care, but she was doing all the duty. And it, it just, I really had a massive misunderstanding of what was going on. Dane realizes that he needs to start showing up differently in his marriage. And he makes the decision to get off the road and not do the education work anymore. But when I gave up education, all of a sudden I was in a really tough spot. While Dane had been traveling and teaching so much, he wasn't shooting. And so his photography business was suffering and he wasn't making any money on it to fall back on when the education business stopped. And it just so happened that this was also occurring in 2009. And uh, some folks might remember that was not the greatest economy. And uh, we were in a situation where we ended up having to short sell our home, which was very painful. 
some people, when they have really negative experiences in their life, uh, they get stronger. And other people have really negative experiences in their life and they crumble. And I had to decide which guy I was going to be. Um, and I think everyone at some point has to face that music and decide who they're going to be. Is that where you experienced most failure or, you know, what was that point and what did that actually really feel like? Well, here's what the bottom of the story could have been. Um, I could have stayed on the road and experienced more success and lost my wife and my kids. Hmm. That would have sucked. Yeah. Like that's, this is the, this is the, the other side of like the equation is, okay, so you're having some experience, but it, it always could be worse. <laughs> like always. Yeah. I, I just don't know how resourceful it is to kind of hang out in, well, I guess that's not totally true. In hanging out in the consequences, you can learn a ton. So I, I guess it's not all bad. But I, when I think about how it felt at the time, I felt low. I felt like I had failed. I felt like I wasn't sure I had what it took in life to really make it. But it was only because I was looking at a very narrow band of data. And by the way, I was caught up in a whirlwind of 2009, uh, which was just such a worldwide phenomenon. I wasn't the only guy who short sold their house. In fact, most people lost their homes, they, like they had to go bankrupt or something. So it was a very different kind of situation. Those moments of asking myself, kind of, who am I and what does this mean? If you're going to ask that kind of a question, you have to ask it comprehensively. The, the benefit I had in that moment was I could look at things like my health. I could look at things like my wife who was standing next to me. I was looking at my children who loved me and didn't care where we lived. I was looking at my community and looking at my, my faith tradition and uh, the, my God who loves me unconditionally. And like you add those pieces up and it's like even if you're having a really bad day and you have all those things, you're having a pretty good day. I don't like getting caught in comparison and envy, like who's doing better, who's doing worse. Those never seem like resourceful considerations. But for me individually, if I could broaden my perspective and not just look at the narrow thing that's right in front of me, I felt pretty great, even though I was failing in that moment. Well, like what does it even mean to fail? Like what is, what is the actual definition of failure? Is it just not living up to your own expectations or not living up to others' expectations? Is that what failure is? Like, how would you actually define it? Yeah, so much of it, I think, is is really false expectations. Like, it, underneath the hood of most people is this uh, fantasy that everything I try is supposed to work out. That's kind of like when my kids come up to me and say, they ask me for something, like they want money or they want uh, permission or they want something. And if, the, if it's a real question, then I should have the freedom to say yes or no. But if I'm kind of cornered into a spot where it's like, if I don't come up with 20 bucks right away, I'm a bad guy, uh, that's not really a question anymore. That's just uh, my kids trying to manipulate me. <laughs> and I'm giving my kids a bad rep. But like, they get that if they're going to ask me a question, I have the option of saying yes or no, at least. Those are, I have at least two options, not just one. And there might even be a third or a fourth where I could renegotiate or whatever. But... In a similar way or analogous way, I think with failure, it's when most people relate with failure like it's somehow the outcome that wasn't supposed to be available, as opposed to every time you try something new where, where it's creative, it's like my kids asking a question, you're going to get one of two answers. It, it's either going to work or it's not going to work. And when it doesn't work out, then the question becomes, what are you going to do with the hot mess that's in front of you? Is there a ability to 
learn from the thing, to salvage from the thing, to create something new from the thing. I mean, everyone, your audience is photographers. So, you know, people might say, you know, I hate it when my equipment failed at the event I was shooting or I failed with a client when they didn't hire me. But no one complains when, you know, by accident they get their exposure wrong and it makes this amazing image that they win awards for or, or get paid additional money for. Like nobody complains when the mistake goes right, but it's still a mistake. And I think if you're honest to consider both outcomes and go, okay, every time I try something, one of two things at least is going to happen. And I got to be open to both options. The strong person understands that going in. The weak person has a fantasy that the only real option is that I'm going to, I'm going to succeed. And I think that's really short sighted. Is it an entitlement thing? Like I deserve for this to go right? Or do you think it's those folks are just ignoring that reality because they don't want to believe that failure is an option. Where do you, why do you think that is? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I suppose some people it could be entitlement. I think some people it just could be uh, a lack of experience. Like I, I heard this one leader uh, suggest that in our twenties, we think we can do everything in our thirties, especially when you have young kids, uh, you think you can't do anything. And in your forties, <laughs> you realize you can do a few things and in your 50s, you realize you can do one thing. And in your 60s, you might do it. And, and that's kind of the nature of, you know, the walking the crazy road of, of leading your life. And I, so it could be that a lot of those folks who are surprised when failure shows up, it just might be that they've had a great life where probably someone went before them failing along the way and paying a price that they didn't have to pay. And when they start having to pay the price, well, then they also get the benefit of failure. And that, that's the... The the unsung hero in all this is the benefit. It's what do you get from this thing? And if you sit around and complain and, you know, it shouldn't have been and I'm a victim and why did they do that to me or why did they do that to myself or like what a waste of time. But in contrast, the folks who do you know, postmortems on their lives or circumstances, they can excavate so much value out of the thing that just happened that um, it should more than pay for itself. Uh, in fact, I think that ought to be the number one goal of someone. If you're, if you're going to fail, at least extract enough value to pay for the thing that you just failed in. You might even be able to pay for the next, the next effort. This is really easy for me to say because I'm not in the hot seat right now. I'm not the one that's being questioned about failure. But there's so much to be learned from failure. So what can we learn from it and turn it into a benefit that, you know, we can grow the commercial business into a million dollar business, but we have to give up bomb and weddings in order to do that. And I just believe that that's true. Like, yes, we could make bomb and weddings into something that is big and successful, but we don't have the time. We don't have the energy. And I believe we need to say no to bomb and weddings in order to grow the commercial business to the kind of business that um, that it can be. Yeah, it's fair. It's definitely fair. What's kind of reminding me is just to kind of be a little bit dorky for a second is that economic term sunk cost bias. And that's, I think if I can equate what's happening with me and avoiding failure with the principle of sunk cost bias, which basically means when, um, you don't even mean by sunk cost bias, right? Uh, 
explain it to me again, just so I'm clear. That's like where you've committed so much time and resources to a thing that you are biased to think that that thing is going to work, basically. And so it's like, okay, like you've been dating someone for a really long time. It's like, man, I've, I've just invested so much to give this up. And that's, I think, how I'm dealing with failure is it's like, okay, bombing weddings is not working. It is failing, but we've done, look at all we've done. Look at all the history we have. Look at the things, the tools that we've built. Look at all this stuff. Like it can't, it, we can't end it. And so I think there's all kinds of things like that in our businesses that are sunk cost bias. Is this part of your Enneagram 7 where it's a failure is, a, is on the negative spectrum of emotions? And so that's why it's something that you, it's not in your consciousness almost. I think that's how, I mean, I definitely feel like that. I feel like failure is a negative thing. It's a bad feeling and I just push it away and I don't want to feel it. So even if, even if we were to say that bomb and weddings is failing, which I think I've said in some way or another at this point, I don't want to actually experience it. For those of you out there that are familiar with the Enneagram, I am a five and Jeff is a seven. And both of our personalities interact with failure in some really interesting ways. And I got curious, does our innate wiring, how we are built in our personalities, how does that affect how we relate to failure? Would you say that you are a personality that is very like forward thinking, future thinking? I am. Yeah. And and I feel for my friends who aren't like, like my son is uh, more of a present state or present past state personality. And he is hit harder than I am with these kinds of things. I'm, I'm so glad you asked that question because some people just really are wired to see the world negatively and it, and it's, and a failure can be just devastating in a different light. But I, I do think there's probably some advantage that I have in my personality, but it's not like that's the whole story. I think, I think for folks that really are, have a propensity towards negative, 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 they just have an opportunity, I think in that, to exercise those muscles of broadening perspective. Everyone can do that uh, across the board if they're willing to put in the exercise. Just like the metaphor of like, you might have a, you might have asthma or you might have some negative characteristic, but if you're willing to lean in and account, like take responsibility for the thing that you have, you can go probably further than the average person who doesn't have that um, impediment. But it, it takes a consciousness, a self-awareness, and a a willingness to to adventure and go all in on life. And that's my interest is to be around people who are doing that despite their circumstances, where their circumstances aren't defining everything for them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're speaking to someone who is a past thinker. So my orientation to time is to the past. And I wonder if that has something to do with the fact that I I look around and I seem to have a more intense reaction to failure than other folks that I see. But especially in this industry, I see a lot of folks that seem to take failure a little bit more lightly instead of relitigating what happened. 
you know, they're moving forward into the future. Well, it's funny as you're, as you're describing it, like, I, I think the, there's a lot of good work, like Jungian typology and personality stuff and understanding some of our kind of classic nature wiring versus our nurturing and the choices we make, all those things play into kind of who we are. But as you're describing that, Aaron, what occurs to me is, and this is a little bold on my part to assert this, but I, I wonder if you are confusing failure with risk. Like, for example, if, if you're experiencing, the older you get, a greater sense of kind of fear of failure, that might be because you have more to, you have more to lose now. I mean, back in the olden days, it was just you uh, before you know, Jeff wooed you at the library or wherever it was, and 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 your sweet baby, and you know, and your 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 life, like you have you have a lot at stake right now, and you don't want to bet the farm like you used to be able to, because back then the farm was kind of small and the risk was kind of low, but it might be that your personality appreciates risk differently, and that's different than an acknowledgement that failure is going to happen. And maybe a better path for someone in your shoes is to take smaller bets, like a whole bunch more smaller bets rather than a massive, like kind of swing for the fences. I have to have a grand slam. And in my experience, it's funny when I look at, at the younger empire and what you guys have created, um, it seems like you've done that really well. Like you've, you're very measured, you're very thoughtful, you do your due diligence, you're true to your wiring and and in that, what you're, I think you've discovered is a lot of incremental growth that has built and built and built and built, and you've, and you you get the benefits for it. But there's no one saying that you need to bet all of that at once now. But I do think you'd be wise to keep making a bunch of small bets because you're actually really skilled at it. And and I think that that's an alignment with kind of how you're wired. But it doesn't negate that failure will happen. It's just you're anticipating you're going to fail, and and you're you're uh, mitigating your risk in the process. Hmm. And I think, and that I totally agree with what you are saying in that assessment that all makes so much sense. I hadn't thought about it that way. So thank you for that. I think that there, when I think about that, I'm like, well, that isn't, it's like I have this message in my head that says, well, that's not how the world has told me that it's supposed to work. I'm supposed to have bigger success, faster success. Otherwise there's something wrong with me. Well, let me comment on that real quick because I think that cultural message that you're describing is is really real. And if you picture, like I, I heard this phrase a long time ago, like this call to curate the voices in your head. So, you know, I have a voice, I have a conversation with myself all the time about how things are going. It's highly influenced by my social context and the culture that I live in. And if in that culture, everything is about comparison and envy and, um, FOMO and, uh, you know, the great lives, the great two-dimensional Instagram lives that are on display for everyone to see. Like if that's the only thing that's informing me and I'm not being thoughtful and self-aware enough to constrain the influence of those things, then you're right. I will be a dog on a leash to the culture. But if I play a different game, which is what's mandated and what every great creative, especially creative in business has ever done. Um, they, 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 they seem to be an iconoclast. They go, everyone's going left, they go right. Uh, and I, there's a reason they do that is because they have courage. And the reason they do that is they don't, they don't play uh, their lives to the, 
the decision, like the cultural norms, they're willing to go a different direction. This whole world of, of culture telling you that you need to make big risks, big leaps, and you need to have it all together and never fail in the process. Uh, just notice who's incentivizing that message. It's people who are wanting you to buy their stuff that you're gonna fail with and have to buy more of their stuff. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. You, you have to be, um, to take dimension and agency of your life enough to decide what worldview you're gonna work in, what worldview you're gonna live in, what worldview you're gonna create in, and be true to that. It's one of the reasons why I'm so appreciative of this um, this medium that you've engaged in with, with podcasting, Aaron, is because you're inviting a voice in people's heads that is an alternative to bombarding messages of, uh, you should just fall in line and follow the crowd and do what everyone else is doing. have any do you have any just simple advice or you know things that you've learned along the way that help you in those times when you are either struggling with a sense of failure or risk or you know you're in a place where you need to shut off those blinders to whatever negative messages that you don't want to be engaging with do you have any you know advice or tips for people to kind of move past that well, I'll just, I'll talk a little bit about what I, when I'm at my best, these are some things that I do and, and it's, I find it really helpful and my friends do this too. So the first thing I would say is anticipate failure. It's coming and you know, it's coming. So if you know, it's coming already, you can get ready for it. So that's the first thing. And, and it's an easy one to skip because it's easy to give lip service to that and, and not really kind of take into consideration the reality of, of the world we live in. So that's the first thing is anticipate failure. The second thing I'd say is to decide up front what that failure will mean to you. Because if you can decide up front, like I, I heard this great story of Kelly Slater, the famous surfer, in one he was up for the world championship of surfing. He was in the final against this one other uh, surfer who ultimately he ended up losing to. In this documentary I was watching, before he did his final session or heat with against his competitor, he was asked, what are, you, what are you doing right now? And he said he was meditating and picturing what fail, if he were to lose, what that would feel like. And he was going to get okay with that feeling. Hmm. And uh, he said that when he gets okay with that feeling, he surfs better. And he used to surf on fear, but now he surfs on peace. That is so interesting. And it's so interesting because he ended up losing. But fascinating, right? What a great technique. And that's kind of what I'm pointing to. It's like if you can decide up front that you're going to be okay with the failure, that you're going to accept it, that that's a possibility – uh, you end up reducing the mental and emotional load when it shows up. And if it doesn't show up, then it's funny. You don't get the same peak or high, but I also think the peak or high becomes less relevant because mm -hmm. you get to get on to the next project. So first one is anticipate failure. Second, decide up front what it'll mean to you and consider reducing the load. And the third is once you've decided it, whether and like once you've reframed the pain or pleasure of success or, or failure is just feedback. It's just a feedback loop. Like if it, if it worked, that's it. Then live into that story. Failure is a story. 
you're telling yourself something about the way things have turned out. And you can inform that story whenever you want. If you can live into a much better story than I don't have what it takes or I'm a loser, I didn't, you know, I'm not good enough. Just frame that in a different way of like, I'm on the road. This is the path. Uh, I, if, I, if I didn't have that, I couldn't get th this. All of those pieces are part of the puzzle. And if you can live into that story and be, have the voices in your, in your world reinforce it, I think what you'll discover is you'll, you'll be less concerned about an incremental or kind of a, a singular fail and be more interested in the life you're living uh, and where that failure can take you. While Dane was talking here, my mind was spinning about a million miles a minute. And something flipped for me when Dane said that when you get okay with the possibility of failure, you reduce the mental toll it takes on you when it does occur which also reduces the peak or high that you experience with success. And then that peak or high becomes less relevant. And something unlocked for me right here. I realized that I think my fear of failure has less to do with failure and more to do with my expectations for success. After Jeff and I purchased Bauman Photographers, we got inside the business and discovered that there was a lot more work to do than we knew. And in looking back, I now realize that we did not go into that purchase understanding that failure could be a possibility. In our limited life experience at the time, we went into it with the expectation that it was going to be massively successful. Because up until that point, everything we did went the way that we wanted it to. We believed that if you put our life on a chart, it was always going to be moving in a steady upward trajectory but life doesn't work that way, right? We experienced a lot of failures with the new business and my confidence took a huge hit. Instead of leaning into those failures as learning opportunities to help us move forward, I accepted those failures as a judgment on who I am. I subconsciously made an agreement that I am not actually capable of the success that I dream of having. That maybe the business wasn't working because I'm just someone that simply doesn't have what it takes. And that limiting belief revealed this underlying expectation for me about how I relate to success. Basically, as embarrassing as this feels to say out loud, up until now, I have always been waiting for a tipping point in success. I've hoped and believed that there is going to be this big moment when my business reaches a critical mass and it's simply going to take off. And then voila, I can call myself successful. I'll always be able to point to that moment as the moment that I quote, finally made it. In other words, when I'm honest with myself, I've been chasing the peak and the high that comes with success. Yeah, what you have to decide what game you're playing. Uh, there's, um, there's a book that came out a while ago called Finite and Infinite Games, and Simon Sinek's actually writing another one right now. I don't know if it's out yet, called Infinite Game. I think it's on the same topic. But the idea is simply like a finite game is a game where there's a beginning and a middle and an end, and there's a winner and a loser, and you get a trophy, or you go you know, the agony of dis defeat route. And that's what most people play in their lives. But the author suggests there's another game, a higher game, a far more interesting game called the infinite game. And the infinite game is you don't play to win, you play to play. So you want to have a chance to play again. That's the whole reason you play. And when people commit to that, a whole bunch of benefits kick in where um, 
if you decide to play infinite, exclusively infinite, you, you don't concern yourself with the highs and lows of an in individual winning game because you're off to the next game. That's what's interesting. And if you are committed to a life of playing, then, oh my gosh, you, there's no end to the goodness you can get out of your existence. That's when it gets really fun. It's hard to admit that I've been playing the win or lose game because I feel childish and naive admitting that. But if I get honest with myself, it's true. And that's okay. Dane is asserting that if we focus on playing the infinite game, then that peak or high of success that I've been subconsciously chasing, it just becomes completely irrelevant. And I love that. It removes the measuring stick that I've been living in my life. If I let go of my unrealistic expectation that we will someday hit a magical moment where we've made it, it removes all judgment because there's nothing to judge myself against or to judge how much I've achieved by this point in my life. I can simply lean into what the infinite game has to offer and just see where it takes us. Failure for me, when it comes down to it, when after this whole process and going back and forth and digging into everything and talking to Dane and talking to Jeff, failure for me has been a judgment. Judging myself on how much I've done, how much I haven't, and if I have what it takes or not. But failure isn't that. Instead, it's a natural and important part of creating success. I think if, that if you reframe bomb and weddings not as a failure, but as part of a decision-making process in building a successful business. So it's something that, that had to be done, needs to be done in order to create success. Yeah, I think that reframing is exactly right. Like Dane said earlier, Everyone comes to the point where they get to decide which type of person they're going to be. Are you going to be the type of person that crumbles under failure? Or are you the type of person that allows failure to make you stronger? Which game do you want to play? And if you choose to play the infinite game, I will be right there with you learning how to play it myself. And thank you so much for spending your time here with me today. I am so honored that you allow me to speak into your life and into your business. If you enjoyed this episode, then do not forget to subscribe in your podcast player and please leave a review. Those reviews are how Apple helps us find new listeners. And also while you are listening, take a screenshot and post it on your Instagram stories and make sure to tag me at the Younggrins so that I can share it on my Instagram stories as well. It would mean the world to hear what it is that you guys love. Please do not hesitate to send me a DM or send me an email at Aaron at the so that I can hear what it is that you want to learn about. What kind of topics resonate with you? Is it things like this that have to do with mindset shifts and mindfulness? Is it the more practical trainings? Do you love hearing interviews from other really amazing individuals? 
Also, if you are a photographer and you are not a part of our photographer Facebook community, then I would love it if you joined. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes where you can continue this conversation online at our Facebook community. It is for professional photographers only. So request to join and we will get you inside. That is where Jeff and I hang out. We spend our time, we answer questions and we help everyone in the group build amazing businesses. So get inside that group and take advantage of that community. All right, friends, I will see you next time here on Creative Rising. Creative Rising.